hold up one second, man. I heard what you said in there. That kind of like, it blew my mind. Well, it's just history, you know, it's just there. I just accessed it, that's all. That's easy for you to say you're a hip-hop mastermind. Yo, check yourself before you wreck yourself. It's DJ Steve Pete, Steve Pete Steak here uh, with episode two. Uh, thanks for listening to episode one. Please uh, feel free to subscribe. It'll be easier for you to get the episodes as they come out. Uh, open your Opus phone, subscribe on there. Open your uncles, your aunts, open everybody's phone, subscribe uh, to the app, podcasts, iTunes app. Uh, here's episode two, featuring my conversation with my friend living in Libya, where he tells you what it's like to live there. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's a good show. And episode three and four are being recorded later today. I'm going to drop those later. So you can stay tuned for those, okay? So here we go. Check out episode two. Here it is. See you, bye. Thanks. Mr. Derek Vienhoff. He's better known as Deke. Drinking liquor with DJ Deke, we out laughing. Yo, Deke. What's new in Libya, man? I haven't heard too much good news lately. Um, no, 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 no good news coming out of Libya. As it's been coming out of Libya for five fucking years now. Yeah. Uh, we can say fucking. Yeah. I mean, this isn't like a kid. No, this is not a kid show. No, I don't care. All right, nice. Yeah, yeah whoever, whoever, whoever uh, gets into this show, um, yeah. yeah, they're in for either a rude awakening or exactly what they're looking for, which is no holds barred. You know, no, all right, all right. That, that's how I roll, anyway. That's Ca- how I roll. Yeah, cage match, stone cold. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no! So, so, so you're living in Tripoli, right? Tripoli, yeah. Uh, Tripoli. If anybody doesn't know where Tripoli is, it's in Libya. Libya is in North Africa, which is uh, in the middle um, of Egypt and Tunisia. Not Africa, you know, down South Africa, you know, like uh, right. Uh, yeah, it's close to the it's on the Mediterranean, close to Italy, Malta. You guys know where that is. So uh, the area that's pretty damn fucking big. This is the the, the thing that we can't uh, put our minds around it. We can't grab, the, you know, figure it out. Now Libya is like 1.7 million square kilometers. Right. It's a big ass country, country. yeah. Big ass fucking country, yeah. When you compare it, I mean, it's not as close. I mean, it's not as uh, big as Canada, but when you compare the population, it's only six million people and decreasing every day due to fighting and people. Yeah, so, so I'm just looking at the map now because I was, uh, I was just looking at this. So, so Tripoli, and then so the fighting that's going on right now. Is Tripoli is sort of the un, the quote unquote official government, right? And then on the other side of the Gulf, you have the the opposition. That is that how it's working? Well, uh, you have in the West, you have. Uh, I mean, where Tripoli is, you have one government. Right now, we have three governments. Four, if we count ISIS. Right. 
Okay, that's it. We've got the General Na National Congress, the GNC, which is here in Tripoli. Right. Then at the House of Representatives, which is in uh, Benghazi, which is uh, Libya's second largest city, which is in the east, far east, close to the Egyptian border. Right. You've got government that was imposed by the UN. Now, this new government is, is now in Tripoli. They couldn't get to Tripoli. I mean, imagine this. They couldn't get inside of Tripoli because the GNC wouldn't allow them to get in. They wouldn't allow they the UN to get in. Yeah, exactly. They wouldn't allow the UN government to, to enter, which is made up of Libyans, of course. It's right. headed by some dude, the Faiz Sarraj. So they had to an Italian ship and sneak in at night through uh, the Mediterranean Sea. And now they're at a naval base, and that's where they conduct their work, from a naval base. Because if they get out of that naval base, um, shit might go, go down, you know? Wow. So, uh, it's pretty fucked up, pretty fucked up. I mean, uh, just right now, when you were, uh, when you were uh, fiddling with, uh, with the audio and shit, I can hear flashing codes outside, AKs and shit, you know? Wow. So, like, so how do you, like, what is the level of danger and how, how do you navigate through that in your daily life? Like, because uh, I, like, I'm trying to wrap my head around the history and, and the current events of it all, too, but I'm also thinking of your family and, and your history and how you, um, you, you moved here to St. Catharines at a young age and then you yeah. stayed for some years. Your father, uh, went to Brock. Was that was that the the initial yeah. goal for educational purposes? Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, we went over there. He got his master's in, master's in genetics from Brock, yeah. and then uh, very stupidly decided to come back to Libya. At that time, it wasn't as bad as this. At that right, time, right. Gaddafi was in power. Because you went. It was shitty. Yeah, but not as shitty as now. You went back in what two thousand two was it or two thousand one? Two thousand one. Yeah. Right, right before September 11th, right? Right before September 11th. I remember uh, we threw a Christmas party over at Prince of Wales. I was back here uh, in January, beginning of January 2001. Huh. So uh, nine months before September 11th. That was a while back, man. A while back. Yeah, so, so you guys went back home because that was your initial plan, right? Like... Go to well, Canada. It wasn't really a plan. Exactly. It was go to Canada, and then later on, uh, I was supposed to go and finish up university back in Canada. That didn't go as planned. Uh, okay. uh, same thing with my dad, you know. So, uh, you know, each year just kept on, you know, following the year. And, and right, right. Year. So, so, yeah. So, the, what, how gradual was it from... 2001 when you went back to sort of the Arab Spring stuff like was it a gradual did you did you guys kind of know what was coming or was it nobody so, knew it was coming nobody knew eh no nah, no nah, nobody knew it was coming Libya at that time 2001 was like I said it was pretty fucked up fucked up in uh, economical wise I mean uh, right. not a lot of money going around you know but then Sometime in 2009, 2010, Gaddafi got pretty fucking old. So his son, Saif, which is now, uh, he's, he's in prison right now in a city called Zinten. They cut off his fingers, and uh, he's still in jail. Uh, this dude, getting uh, he got his education from the UK, 
was starting to run the show here in media. So things were improving. This was 2009, 2010. Okay. Companies were coming in. There was, you know, a lot of opportunity. Then the 2011 Arab Spring kicked in. That time, it, it continued for like eight months. Eight months. It was pretty shitty in those eight months, but, uh, but then after the, the fall of Gaddafi, everybody thought it was going to get better. Yeah. And like I said, large, uh, small population, large area, a lot of oil, a lot of oil. I mean, you guys see those... Uh, those Saudi Arabians and uh, you know the Emirates dudes how they're spending money you know <laughs> Europe and shit yeah when you come to look at the figures you look at the numbers we should be spending twice as much money as Libya but the thing is uh, we, we were getting fucked <laughs> huh. plain and simple yeah so uh, a lot of money has been uh, has been uh, has been fucked around Right, so so why is it? Is it just because there's so many different factions with different interests, and it's just uh, generally because you said like the geographic situation and everything, like it's just generally been pretty unstable. Because like like what it what it is that what it is? Just different interests amongst different factions. Like they just want power. Is that as simple as that, or is there just more going on behind the scenes? Like what is it? If you look at it. Like uh, from from a person like you standing outside, you would probably say yes, it's a different faction than and shit. But somebody who's been living here like me for the past five years during these uh, during these five years, imagine that there's not a single good thing that came out after the revolution. Right. I look at the math and I see that this is intentional. Starting from 2011, this is intentional. Um, I see it as a, a as something globally, you know, this whole Arab Spring thing. Yeah. You know, it'll just kick in, and even if it kicked in, uh, there should be at least, like, I would say 20, 30% uh, good things coming out of it, you know? Right. But have, like, something like here in Libya or in Syria or in Iraq or, uh, you know, it's like 100% fucking failed. And, Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's trying to help and shit. I mean, uh, come on. The whole world is trying to help you, and it's still, it's still fucked up. Right. Like if so, yeah, so, yeah, as it's intentional. Right. So you're saying if the Arab Spring is such a good thing with such good intentions and everyone's in it to help everybody, it, then there should be some good results where there there's not exactly come, coming out of it and you could probably see it from the beginning right after the revolution first big mistake that they did uh, was the government gave 2,500 bucks to everybody who was who was in the revolution who, who, who had uh, arms and went and fought against the oh, the, go- oh the, who did, who gave the money the government so, the government, yeah, the government, uh, which was uh, a government that was put for a short period of time after uh, the revolution. After he was killed. Exactly, after he was killed and during the revolution itself. Okay. This came up, uh, of course, Benghazi was the first to be freed after the revolution. Uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, fighting going on there, so the government was based over there. Okay. Tripoli is now free. Whole country is free. What they go and do and is give two thousand five hundred to every 
pothead. Uh, and I mean, you should see, you should see the these guys are like fucking criminals. I mean, oh, they yeah? used to fight against Gaddafi, but not because they wanted to fight against Gaddafi for freedom and all that shit and a better life. And no, nah, it was just oh, we get guns and weed and money. <laughs> And, and we get booze, you know, and, and shit like that, and money, and we get to be in power. So that's what they did. And instead of giving those guys a piece of paper that says, thank you very much, go back to your home, they give them 2500 2500 for every one of those guys. They went and they bought more weapons. And then what they did, those guys, they they uh, made up little militias. Like here in Libya, you, uh, there was a time where you could find like 400 different militias. Damn. Just in Alone. Wow. Well, those militias, some of them uh, broke up, some of them uh, united with other militias to form bigger militias, and that's the commotion and the chaos that I say is intentional. Because, uh, right. I mean, we could see it coming. We could see it, we could see it coming. Right, right. So when you say, when you say intentional, you just help me walk me through it a bit, because uh, obviously I'm an outsider, right? So we just, you know, we see what's on the news, and then we just live our daily life. Like we kind of, we don't always pay attention to everything. Obviously, right? It's hard, but so intentional by who? By foreign interests, like people like the CIA. Exactly. Or, okay. Yes, yes, yes. And most of the people here uh, would probably say the same thing. Not. Not as much as I'm, I mean, I read up. You could call me a conspiracy theorist or whatever, but right. I read up on this shit a lot, and it happened throughout history. And uh, the bottom line is just money, you know. Yeah, and yeah. Media has a money. Yeah. So, uh, so, so I see it intentional by the UN, the US, and uh, everybody who is. Yeah. Hit. Well, because so they've always had it out for they've always had it out for Gaddafi, right? Like, what was his nickname back in the day from uh, Reagan, or who who was it that gave him like the nickname? Um, I don't remember what it was now. Shit, something. Yeah, like, probably it was Reagan because because uh, he threw a lot of nicknames at Reagan, like uh, Reagan, Reagan, <laughs> Donkey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, let me look it up just because. Uh, Oh, it was uh, Mad Dog. Mad Dog, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It was a documentary too. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. the one you you told me about. Um, I, I checked out one of those. I forget which one it was. The longer one. The Golden Gun was cool. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I d- I tried to do a little bit of research on Gaddafi because uh, even when we were little kids, you would tell me about him a bit. Did yeah. you? Um, so like. So yeah, so how so what's the deal? How would you explain to a westerner like someone in Canada, the US, like who he, who Gaddafi was to the people of Libya in your lifetime? And how and did you like what were your feelings towards him or what were your feelings from your family towards towards him growing up and all that? Like was he just sort of there in the background and you you didn't really care one way or the other, or was there like a strong dislike, or you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, well, here's here's how it went. Gaddafi was in the army, of course. Yeah. And the king's army, and there was a king Idris before Gaddafi. So he was in the army. He went to the UK and studied there for four years. Now, a lot of Libyans say that in those four years, uh, he was, you know all the intel and stuff to go and and 
reformist revolution back in Libya. Mm-hmm. Keeping in mind that he's he was only 27 years old when he uh, yeah. when he came up with the revolution. I mean, imagine that's our uh, that's our age. Like that. That's our age right now. Exactly. Imagine you uh, in control of Libya right now. <laughs> yeah. Fucking and sweet as hell, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, imagine that 27-year-old stays in power for 43 years. Yeah. How did he do that? Well, it was all um, pretty simple. Fear. Everybody worked for the government. You rat someone out, you get paid. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. Keep them hungry, and then if you rat someone out, anybody who says anything, even if you say, like, fuck Gaddafi, imagine writing fuck Gaddafi on the internet or whatever, you know, and they get a hold of you, yeah. you're going to be going, going away for a long time. Yeah. During these 43 years, uh, me and my family and most Libyans here, why the revolution when it was started or ignited by the UN and the US, and why it, 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 it rapidly grew is that everybody hated Gaddafi. But not so much of the fear part, but seeing how the other world is and looking at yourself and you've got like close to three million barrels of oil a day in production and you're selling them and there's nothing on the ground. You know, no roads. I mean, there are roads and shit, but those are from the 70s. You know? Yeah. They're yeah. All like, fucked up, no infrastructure. Uh, hospitals are, are barely functioning, you know, schools are, you know, with like busted up desks and shit. Yeah. So that's why people, you know, uh, most of the people hated Gaddafi, unless they were uh, from his group, and that group was pretty pretty big. I mean, a lot of people were uh, financially set from Gaddafi. Okay. See, because you, you, you might be aware of some of the bullshit that goes around on the internet especially from people in the u.s and canada that you know there'll be like an article that says oh Gaddafi did so much good you know the truth about Gaddafi, the stuff you don't hear uh all the like you just said like the infrastructure or the free money uh free education this and that well yeah free education but like you said shitty shitty education exactly. <laughs> like right just go there. It's it's free, but you can cheat and and it's fucked up and uh, you know the washrooms are, are full of shit and and they I, mean, and, I don't and, want that. And then they hang. Didn't they hang people in some in a school or something? Wasn't that like a yeah? In nineteen seventy four, I think uh, nineteen eighty four. Yeah, nineteen eighty four. I think. Man, so so you oh geez, like imagine us at Prince of Wales. Yeah, exactly. And they just... I mean, were, I, I was yeah. back then, but my dad uh, was at the university then. I yeah. So it was uh, pretty fucking horrible. I mean, some kids didn't do anything, you know? Uh, yeah. That's... that's uh, During the 80s, I would say, is the peak of Qaddafi, where it was just pure up here. I mean, you would reach the age of 20 and 21. If you didn't go to the army, you're fucked. Yeah. Imagine checkpoints the road, you're going back home from uh, your friend's house, and then there's a military checkpoint in the middle of the road. They see your paperwork, uh, you're not enlisted in the army, and you're 21 years old, or 22, or whatever. Get in the fucking van. Yeah. What? Get in the van. Take you to the van, they take you down in the desert, your family doesn't hear from you, you stay there for a year, two years, three years, nobody asks about you. 
So in the 80s, it was the peak of, of Gaddafi. And you've probably heard of the Chad War. There was a war between Libya and Chad uh, in the late 80s. Okay. Yeah, uh, over a piece of land between Libya and Chad. Chad borders the south of Libya. Right. So uh, Gaddafi put in his head that that piece of land is Libya's land, not Chad, so let's go fight them and take that piece of land. Uh, a lot of people died during that war. He didn't have any more people to fight, so what did he do? He goes to high school. Imagine buses parked outside high school. So you're going to high school, you go in in class, and then all of a sudden some military people come in, you, 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 outside. They get on that bus, and then they go to, and they fight each other. Wow. A lot of people died. People are still looking for their husbands, I mean, uh, husbands, kids, you know, yeah. family members, uh, their bodies were never discovered. Uh, so, so yeah, he was, he was pretty fucked up. Right. Pretty fucked up. He was, yeah. So, I'm not saying he was like, as bad as the North Korea dude, but, <laughs> but he was pretty yeah, so for anyone, all they have to do, if they think for whatever reason that people that they're being tricked and that Gaddafi was actually a good guy, pretty much just read a book <laughs> or watch a documentary. And <laughs> no, I've, read, I've read those. I've read those. It's like uh, everything is free and, uh, and, and uh, women are in the government and all that shit. You know? but, yeah. So uh, what? Yeah, that's on, on the book. And he has this people's book and shit like that where, where to Gaddafi... I mean, he, he, he used to repeat this even during the revolution, is that I am just a symbol, and I don't rule, I don't have any power, and the power is in the people's hands. So these people, they go every month. Nobody goes, it's just a bunch of idiots that go, and <laughs> it's as if, you know, you know those uh, class meetings that Mr. T used to have? Yeah. It's like, I second that motion and shit like that. Yeah. People raising their hands and shit. It's like, yeah, we need to fix that school. Yeah, I second that motion. Yeah, it's going to get fixed. Right, you know, the next day, fuck up. You know? So it was, so, yeah. Uh, so it was little, little sort of people's people's councils that just kind of governed over their own villages and whatnot, right? Exactly. That was what was written in the book. The and Green Book. Used to always say the Green Book. You know, where uh, where the country is run by the people themselves, and there isn't like a government or whatever to. So, so it was a bunch of idealistic bullshit that really in the background he was just kind of in your... It was a one-man one show. One-man show. And but like you said, in, in your opinion, this one-man show was either either propped up or supported or started by just sort of a Western influence or, or like a... or at least they sort of... No, is that what it is or no? Because wasn't he, wasn't he yeah. very anti... West or or was that a gimmick? And then he sort of. I would say it's a. I would say so. Yeah, because uh, anti-West. We all know that the West is, uh, even though at the peak of Gaddafi with all his weapons and shit, the West could uh, probably drop a bomb on his fucking house and, and shit. You know, <laughs> in one, you know, you, you don't fuck with the West. <laughs> right. Right. You know? uh, yeah. yeah. So it was. Uh, it was just a big show. Same thing with Saddam Hussein. You know, we all know who put him there, and we all know who took him out. So uh, one day he's shaking their hands, the other day uh, he's hiding in a hole. Exactly. Same thing with Gaddafi. Yeah, it's, it's, when we need you, we need you. When we don't need you, then it's game over. Right. And, and, and I see it that way. 
I see it that way. I, I can't imagine that the world is run the way it is right now, you know, with all this shit that's going on in the world, all these wars and, and starvation and all this fucked up shit. Yeah. You can't tell me with, with, you know, us right now in 2016, with all the technology and all, you know, the fucking folks in the world and education and history that we've learned from, that we'd be at this point right now. For half the fucking world is starving, and you, and you tell me that there, there are people or countries in the world that are trying to help uh, people around. No, it, it, all, it all just trickles down to money. Right. Well, it all depends how you break it down, right? Because if you can look at, say, you look at a government or a, or whether it's the United States or whatever, or you look at a militia or an army, and then you got to look at the individual soldiers. You know what I mean? Like when people say like yeah. government X does does X Y Z to country, whatever. There, yeah. who you know, you got the people have to be specific about sort of. Who almost who they're talking about? Or like, there's various motives within different bodies of governments, and then. But I guess you're just talking about all like the higher you go up, right? I guess is that what you're saying? Like, just the higher you go up. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure you read you read those too. Yeah, the, the higher you go up. I mean, uh, Libya in these five years, I mean, well, it's pretty obvious that it's controlled by somebody higher than uh, these militias that are down here, or or the government itself. Or maybe even like the United States and the UN, right? It's causing like a lot of stress in the area. Um, with ISIS right now taking a stronghold here in Civit, which yeah. is uh, in the central, it's in central Libya, and it's uh, causing a lot of havoc to Egypt and Tunisia and the and the, and the countries neighboring Libya. Huh. So what? So what's to? So is there in Libya? What is there jobs? Is there anything going on? Like, are you just lucky that you have a job right now? So you got you can like, how are you to go back to? So we meandered off from my original question was how? What's your day to day life there, and how do you navigate through all the danger and whatnot? And and you know, are you trying to get out? Or are you trying to stay there? Or are you just sort of going day by day? Well, uh, it's kind of hard to get out. Yeah. Since the Libyan passport right now is uh, probably like one of the bottom ten passports in the world. I mean, it's close to Syria and Ethiopia and all that shit. So, so it's pretty hard to get a visa to any other country. Oh. that. Plus, you've got the exchange rate. Let's say I get a thousand Libyan dinars when I want to exchange them to uh, U.S. dollars. It's that'll shit. get me like. 300 US dollars, yeah. Back in the days, it would get me around like 900 US dollars. It was pretty close. Right. But now, uh, the exchange rate is really fucked, and this is also intentional from the central. Oh, there's sanctions, eh? Hello? Hey, I almost lost you there. Yeah, yeah. The voice changed a bit. Cool. Did I turn into a robot? Yeah, almost. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So are you gonna come back to are you gonna come back to Canada when we uh, gotta open up that uh, time capsule? You gotta help. only me and you know about it at Prince of Wales. We gotta go dig that thing up. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But right away, right away. But uh, hopefully it's uh, it's close to when you hit your million. Because last time we talked, you said that once you hit your million, I'm gonna get a house. Uh, oh, for sure. Big ass mansion. For sure. 
Although, the, although now that we're older and we're more realistic with the housing market and all that, I don't know. It's like um, houses are pretty expensive. Uh, with with the, the, the you know that that place on top of uh, the Avondale. Um, which uh, on Facer Street? I mean, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll settle for that flat. Yeah, for sure. Well, you went to Tunisia for a bit, right? Yeah. Was that just a vacation, yeah, or did were you living there for a bit? Well, since no, no, it was just a vacation. Uh, since Libya is, uh, you know, fucked up a bit. First of all, you can't get any alcohol in Libya unless from the black market. I repeat, there's no alcohol in Libya unless from the black. Market. Pretty sure a lot of viewers right now are going to be like. You know, fucking stunned. That this is when they're gonna listen up close. You know, all that shit before. You know, with Gaddafi and fighting and shit. But yeah, no yeah. alcohol. You walk into a store, buy a Labatt Blue, and just chill at home and drink it. You know. Yeah. You have to go that fucking black market. So uh, Tunisia, you're gonna have to. Right now, the border is closed because there's this uh, small city on the outskirts of Tripoli where you have to pass through that city to get to the border with Tunisia. Now, this city is Kokidafi. They have been causing trouble for five years now. This trouble includes you going by with your car, with your family. They stop you off, checkpoint. Everybody uh, everybody down. One guy hops in the car. They put a bullet in everybody's head. And they just drive off. Go sell that car the next day. It's just, you know. Wow. That's how... I, that's how they roll. So that road is out of the question, so the border is now closed. We're going to have to hop on a plane and go to Tunisia. Right. Once you get to Tunisia, drink, uh, you can go to clubs and shit like that. So it's just once you get tired of work, you just hop on a plane, you go there, spend two, three days. And then, so you but, can get on a so you so you can get on a plane and go to Tunisia. Can you do that now, or the airports? Because I remember one time you said the airports weren't weren't operational. Airport, <laughs> in 2014, you know this GNC that wouldn't let the the, the government come in. Yeah. Let a few things. The GNC here in Tripoli is made up of criminals and uh, you could say Islamist groups. They don't say it up front because they're a government and they want the recognition from uh, from from the West, you know. Right. So, but you know here that the people that are in this government were the same people that Gaddafi locked up because they uh, tried to blow up shit back in the day, you know. So they're radical. Now they're in control of Tripoli. If they hear what I say right now, I'm not going to see the light of tomorrow. So, uh, exactly, exactly. So don't. So you want my podcast to not be very popular? Then, if it gets too popular, you never know. Exactly. No. Popular, you better, you better have the already then. Yeah. Wow. So, so where is your? What is your family doing right now? Do you guys all live in the same house or? Well, uh, I rent, uh, I'm renting right now, uh, at the same time I spend nights here at the, at the office, like this big office, uh, where I've got, you know, a place to chill and a place to work, so I'm doing both at the same time. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty good. You, you just don't drive around at night. Yeah. You're concerned about security-wise, but you just don't drive around at night. Shit happens in the morning, too, but mostly at night, uh, you pay for it. Wow. So what? What's the office that you work in again? What? It's a company called Whispering Bell. Uh, it's uh, it, well, it, it specializes in security risk management. Okay. Uh, we've got clients uh, right now. We've got two major clients, which are ConocoPhillips, oil company, an American oil company. Not sure if you heard of it. Uh, and Motorola. Motorola are also came into Libya. They've got some shit that they're doing right now with their networking and stuff. Oh, yeah. So we've got clients. Uh, what we do, I'm in charge of the ops room. I sit here behind my desk, and I've got teams driving around, driving clients, uh, fight cards, pretty much the whole deal. Yeah. Um, but nine screens up on the wall to the left of me where I, uh, I track their movements, where they go, what they do, tell them, you know, send it, let's say they're going to go to a certain place over there, I send a sidecar up ahead, see how the road is, if there's any flashes going on, or roadblocks, or checkpoints, and then I give them another route, and pretty much, uh, pretty much that's what we do. Um, so uh, for me, it's it's pretty good. I'm uh, here from right. So sorry. How how what's the ge- what's the area that the that the cameras watch? How far is it? No, I, I watch them through uh, GPS. Oh, GPS devices, personal and uh, and vehicle GPS. Okay, so they're just various uh, various locations for different clients. Exactly. Exactly. Plus oh. the teams that. Send out over here. Each team is assigned to the same client. Wow! Uh, let's say Paul wants to go from uh, the Corinthia Hotel to uh, to where the new government is situated. Wow! So, so you said Motorola. Yeah. Is one, so what other kind of clients is like all kinds of different things? Telecommunications, whoever. Is there their private ones? Security here in Triplets would uh, would come down. Wow. So uh, uh, last week uh, we had the, the French embassy and uh, the British embassy come here and they rented AV vehicles, uh, bulletproof Toyota uh, Land Cruisers from us. So uh, I was stuck with that for, for a while. I drivers and work out that whole job. What? Wait, you rented them vehicles? Yeah. Bulletproof we've, we've got vehicles. vehicles. Yeah. You have bulletproof, bulletproof vehicles. Can you get me one? <laughs> all right, all right. I'll park near the Avondale. <laughs> uh, each one of them costs around 250, 300 grand right now. Damn. Oh, yeah. So you can just imagine what I told you about your that security situation here in, in Tripoli. Imagine taking. Let's say that that day, that certain day, they took five vehicles out. Imagine if these militias saw these five, five vehicles pull back in. Five, multiplied by two thousand. That's a lot of fucking money. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you've got guns and shit, uh, you'll you'll pull that job anytime. 
Damn. So so you're really uh, yeah. If you needed, you could get your hand. You could just. You're good. You got bulletproof uh, vehicles. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good for you, man. I'm really proud of you that you've uh, you know. You've been through some shit, and yeah, you seem to be doing pretty well considering. Sum it up. Ask about Libya, but right now we haven't really covered any of the large spaces with ISIS and. Yeah, let's touch on that. Let's touch on that for a minute before we we hang it up. Let's, uh, because I wanted to know about that too. Is is ISIS just uh, kind of thrown in the mix with the other with the other fighting, or are they doing significant? Things in in anywhere near Tripoli, or are they? Like, which, they what areas are they active in, and, and what are they what are they doing lately? I heard they're broke. Is that true? <laughs> well, well, not that broke. I mean, the GNC took a lot of fucking money, so the GNC has Islamists in it, so they pulled a lot of money from from that. Plus, they're situated in the city, which is on the coast, uh, Gaddafi's birthplace. They're now in control of that and the areas around it. Uh, they have been in control for over a year now. Okay. Set up everything, banks, shit like that. You know. And sorry, what is that uh, city called again? Sir. Sir, it's just just Sir. south southeast, right, of Tripoli. Uh, you could say east of, of Tripoli. It's south of Misrata, another city, Misrata. Okay, okay. Um, uh, well, pretty much they're in control right now. Uh, they, they they have done a couple of uh, a couple of devastating blows here in Tripoli. Yeah. Uh, not so much in these past two months, but for yeah, we could hear a checkpoint being blown up. Now, are, are these what percentage of these ISIS operatives are foreign, and what are are some Libyans that joined, or is it mostly foreign soldiers that have come in? Well, uh, most of them are foreign. We could say around 15 to 20 percent are Libyan, and the rest, 80 to 85 percent, are, uh, are foreign. They come from uh, Tunisia. Most of them are Tunisian. Right. And uh, the rest, Syria, Iraq, uh, since, since they've, been, uh, they've been getting a couple of blows back over there in Syria, they've been migrating here to Libya. Right, so they're just they're just losing battles and then just kind of going to where the ground gets easier, to, like lowers. They're just taking the the downhill and just going to like shittier places or something. Or do they even have a strategy? Or what are they like? What are they even? I don't think they, they really have a strategy, but uh, wherever they can, they could get their hands on. Yeah, I mean, right now in uh, in Syria, this, this all happened, of course, from the power vacuum that happened after. Taking get out the out of the picture. Yeah. Militias, uh, fucking fighting going around between cities, uh, people stealing money here and there. You don't know what ends up in the hands of ISIS. And by the looks of it, a lot has ended up in the hands of ISIS. They were also operating in Benghazi uh, since 2012. I'm sure you heard of the American ambassador that was killed over there. That was done by other uh, Islamist groups called Ansar Sharia and Shura Banshazi. But they, they, they all found the same spot. So. But now, it's, it's free now, ever since uh, some dude named Kafka 
which is uh, an old guy that used to be Gaddafi's uh, friend. Uh, and then Gaddafi tried to have him killed, so he went to the U.S. back in the uh, 70s, spent two decades over there, and then came back in 2011 to fight against Gaddafi. So, uh, this dude used to study with him. So this guy is in charge of the Libyan army right now, which is in Benghazi. The Libyan army has fought ISIS over there in Benghazi and managed to kick them out. Send them to uh, to Syria. Now this government here, the GNC, is against him. For what reason? They say that he's the new God. What I say is whoever's against ISIS is fine by me. Yeah. So that just gives you a clear point. What the GNC is doing Right now, the, the general after uh, has got a lot of fucking. Uh, Armored vehicles and ship from the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia to combat ISIS in the next coming days. Huh. So we're just gonna have. <laughs> wow, and so, so what's your perspective? Because you're a Muslim. What are you, what denomination are, are is your family background? Is it Sunni or, or how does it work? Shia and Sunni, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Shia and Sunni. But here in Libya, it's, uh, you can say 100% Sunni. We don't have any Shia. Oh, okay. Yes. Not like in, uh, back in Syria. And ISIS is yeah. Sunni, right? ISIS is Sunni, yes. But, uh, see, that's the thing. A lot of people with that, you know, I'm pretty sure you, have, you probably have Muslim friends and they probably tell you the same thing. Yeah, so where do you stand in that sort of breakdown? Because when people say, like, that's like the hot topic, and even on CNN and whatever, right? This whole debate about, you know, people say it has nothing to do with religion, and then some people say, well, it obviously has something to do with religion, but it's not my religion. Like, because everybody has their own interpretation of religious doctrines, right? Yes, well, that's okay. I'll give you my perspective. Somebody who's, who's grown up in Canada, I mean, seen Christianity, and somebody, and, and also uh, lived here in Libya and seen Islam. Yeah. But, let me just plain and clear, two religions are the exact same. One has Jesus and the other has Muhammad. Don't, don't get it mixed up. Uh, even Islam right now is... Well, when you, when you talk to a Muslim or whatever, he'll tell you that, yes, uh, Christianity, we believe in Christianity, but Muhammad came after Jesus Christ. So, uh, whatever was written in the book is pretty much the same thing. Don't do any harm to anybody. Uh, you know, whatever you do, expect it on yourself. You know, same, same stuff. All this other stuff where, where people are taking slaves, women, and right. And so I haven't read it. I mean, I've read the Quran both in Arabic and in English. It does not say that. It does not say that. Have you read the Hadith? See, that's what I mean, yeah. Like, I'm the same way. I'm probably similar to you in the sense of, like, my level of um, Christianity, right? Because my family, 
was all like they're all from both sides, mother and father, both pretty into religion. But as the years go on and the generations go on, it just becomes less of a, especially in Christianity and even in Catholicism, right? Like it's much less of a, a, a commitment to it in a sense. So yeah. I guess I guess the argument breaks down once you get to you'll find certain things in the Hadith and the Quran that can be interpreted certain ways, right? And then, you know, in very negative ways. And even in the Bible or like slavery in the Old Testament, you know, there's all kinds of negative things, but it's people pick and choose what they want to sort of uh, live and believe well, from their doctrines, right? So. Exactly. So what the Hadith is exactly. Let's just say the Old Testament and the New Testament and stuff like that. You know that the Bible was changed over the, the years. Uh, some things were added. Same thing with Hadith. Hadith is not the Quran. When, when, when we talk about the Quran, it's that Quran. That's, that's what was written. Right? You, you go and look at that, you don't find any of this stuff. Now, come to the Hadith. Who was it written by? Some fucking bearded dude that lived 400 years ago or 300 years ago and wrote this down and said, I heard so and so, so and so say that the prophet said this and this and this. Yeah. We've got a, a dude, a sheriff here, who is called a Mufti here in Libya, who is supposed to be the religious pope here. Uh, that that what, what he says is how it goes. Right. Now this guy is with the GPC. He's done a lot of techniques that are pretty damn fucked up, and a lot of them are contradicting what he said. You know, like two weeks ago, you can, you can tell that this dude is being paid to say what he said. Yeah. So I rule out that a lot of the hadith that have been written during the years, uh, same thing. People were paid to say this and this and write this down and say this is the hadith that so-and-so heard the prophet say. But you, can, you can't take that... Uh, you can't, you can't really believe that. Yeah. I mean, for me, and most uh, most Muslims, they have a couple of hadiths that say Hadith al-Bukhari, which is some dude that actually lived with the Prophet and wrote down this book that the Prophet said this and this and this. If you go read that, it's all peaceful Buddha shit. You know? mm-hmm. uh, you, you read it and you think like, what the fuck? I mean, this is Islam today. Why, why is it, you know, why is it like nowhere near it? Uh, and then there's a lot of other hadiths that came over the years, and they just got more gruesome and more fucked up. You don't know how it came to be, especially when it's like hundreds of years after the Prophet's death. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so, so uh, some people use that, you know, to... to uh, so, yeah, so, so from what I hear from you and what, I, what I'm sort of just piecing together is basically... The argument that people people just need to um, recognize that various individuals have their own interpretations, and you you, ne- you can't necessarily convince the others of your interpretation, right? And so, if somebody says like, "Oh, that's not my religion," that's not Islam, or somebody says this action is not Christianity, or this action is not Catholicism, it really just boils down to the picking and choosing and the, the interpretation amongst different groups and individuals, right? Like it's how can we all have one consensus? Like, you know, like there's even Christians, like there's right wing Christians, there's left wing Christians, right? Like there's, there's a whole, you know, 
there's gradients, right? Exactly. No, I have a lot of gradients. But uh, one thing I usually say to sum it up is one third of the world is Muslim. So if Islam was like that, then the world would be a pretty fucking messed up place. I mean, you just imagine. Yeah. Billions of people in Islam, and they don't cut people's heads off, and they don't have uh, four wives, and they don't have uh, slaves. Right. Well, the, the one thing that, that is interesting is that, like, if you look at jihadis, right, like 100% of jihadis are Muslim. Like, there's a, there's a thing going on in the world where, of course, like, you know, we all know, I mean, I don't think anyone's ever said that all, all Muslims do anything. Like, anyone who's ever said all Christians do whatever, all Muslims do whatever, that makes no sense, obviously, right? So, but, like... There is, there is a weird, peculiar thing where, like, uh, jihadism is coming from one. It's like there's no Christian suicide bombers, right? I mean, not no, but who knows? Like, there could be, you know, it's just a disproportionate, and that's what kind of, you know, people focus oh, on it. But yeah, it does, it, it gets hyperinflated and, and over and conflated with other things, too. Yeah. Well, you can't really, uh, uh, let's say jihadis, jihadis are of course one of the Muslim, but when you come and you look at that certain person, uh, especially here in Libya, I mean, the people that they've caught, uh, most of them are Tunisian. Tunisians are known to not be religious at all. They're not religious. Right. Uh, everybody that has come right now to fight with ISIS here in Libya are here because they get paid a thousand dollars a month. That is a known fact here in Libya. He is not here to to uh, to portray Islam or, or yeah. to do anything that has to do with Islam. It is purely financial. That's it. Right. That's a, over there. that's a good and point. Is, exactly. And we, we all know this here in Libya. I mean, yeah. especially the guys that they... I mean, they all drink and they all smoke weed, even the guys in ISIS here in Libya. So, so how do I... Okay, so if, I'll just, let me try and reconcile that in my own brain. Because over here in the West, in the media and all this, the whole thing is, like, they're almost trying to one-up one another on how religious they can be. Like, in, uh, maybe not in Libya, but I'm talking about in certain areas, like maybe Syria, like I've heard. Like on the BBC, you'll hear a story of a, of a Muslim who just walking to his shop or after work or something and somebody stops him and, and forces him to recite something from the Quran and then he, you know what I mean? Like he, he does, he doesn't know the line or something. And then like he's that, that ISIS guy forgets what he's doing because he sees a guy across the, or a woman across the street, uh, not veiled. So he runs over yeah. to her. Like, it's like they're trying to one up each other on how religious they could be. But, but your point is that's not, if you look at ISIS across the board, they're not all trying to do that. They may be trying to do that in certain areas or certain individuals, but obviously some of them are just, like you said, potheads <laughs> who are just doing it for the thousand dollars or what? who knows why they're doing it, right? Like everyone has their own reasons too, right? Money and power. Money and power is simple. When he's, when he's an ISIS, he has power. He could actually walk up to that lady and uh, tell her to do, what to do and what not to do. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that these these 5,000 ISIS members that are in Libya right now, uh, 99% of them, if you ask them to recite the verses of the Quran, they wouldn't know where to start with the <laughs> um, But if you t- but sure. if you ask them to roll a joint, they'll know how to do it. So, 
<laughs> okay, so I'll finish with one question I was just thinking of, sort of an existential question. Is Do you feel like there's good and evil in the world, or do you feel that there's just human sort of human desires and and those like you just said the money and power thing and those human desires are sort of somehow they lead people to do these evil quote unquote evil acts like these beheadings and whatnot like or is that what it is or is do you know what I mean is there is there a sort of an uh, uh, otherworldly de- definition of good and evil or is it just human? I would say no. It- Good and evil, but uh, I used to think that some people are good and some people are evil. I don't think that anymore. Some people were were good and turned evil, and some were evil and they turned good. I see this happening on a daily basis here in Libya. I mean, uh, have you seen the movie The Purge? Yeah. Yeah, where, where there's no law for for 24 hours for one day. Right. To sum it up, uh, this Libya. 365 days a year. Right. So imagine, imagine being thrown in that, in that movie, and every single day it's like that. Financial crisis, uh, fucking checkpoints all over the place. You don't know which one is which. Who can kill you, who's not. So I've seen people that were good, family members, who have kids, live good lives, nice people, normal people, but then they were put in a situation where he can't provide food for his kids. This dude will go and commit a crime. Uh, I'm not going to say that that's, that's uh, I agree with him, but uh, some people would probably do that. Uh, I see even in Canada, if you were to put these circumstances that happened here in Libya in Canada, you would find a lot of evil people popping up to not call themselves jihadis, but they'd probably make up another name. <laughs> yeah. The thing. Um, so I, I see that there is good and evil. It depends on how you were brought up, um, where you live, what you actually saw, what your eyes saw, your brain perceived, and that'll shape the way you, the way you, you uh, it will be light. I mean, some people have seen a lot of dark, dark shit that you can't imagine if you walk up to a Starbucks and uh, order yeah. a cup of luck, just like sit there on his the laptop and uh, excuse me too. It's uh, seen uh, dark shit. Uh, 